Boy, Lord, help us not to be in love with this world, please. Help us to fall out of love with this world and the things of this world and to desire, to desire the return of our Savior, Lord, please. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, thank you this morning for that great song, a great reminder of the hope that we have. Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, help us to keep our, our minds firmly fixed upon the hope that we have the certain biblical hope that we know as believers. Lord, this morning as we continue into 1 Timothy chapter 4 and, and consider these warnings against apostasy, but not just warnings, Lord, the, the way to avoid falling into apostasy. Lord, I pray this morning that we would take this warning, that we would heed it, uh, Father, that we would stay focused upon truth, upon our Savior, and the truth of your word that we be protected from falling into this terrible apostasy that we see all around us. Lord, I thank you this morning that in Christ uh, we do find grace to stay focused upon truth. And Lord, in Christ uh, we do find grace to uh, avoid error. In Christ we find uh, wonderful help and hope and, and grace and strength to stay focused upon truth. And Lord, I pray this morning that uh, you would help us to do just that today. Father, help me. Now I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your Bible, please? Turn to, uh, not 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. I should have told you this first. Please turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Do you see, a uh, question as you're turning there this morning, do you see a lot of error around you? Do you see a lot of error we do, right? We, we live in a world that is, boy, it's just, Gary, it's filling up more and more with error, right? It's just, you know, it's all different flavors of the same lies. You understand that. Uh, a, a teacher shared with me some years back, you know, the, all the cults that we see around us, and certainly we see a lot of them, for the most part, they're just different retellings of the same lies, aren't they? They, they really are. They're different. What, what were the two lies that, that Satan told to Eve and uh, really to Adam as well back in the garden? Hey, if, if, if you disobey, if, if you, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, no matter what, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll live forever. Well, the, the serpent promised um, uh, deathlessness. And he said, you'll become as gods, right? Deification. And, you know, if you look at the cults today, they're, they're just different creative retellings of the same two lies that Satan served up all the way uh, back in the garden. But it can be discouraging, right, to see so many caught up in, in so much error. This morning, uh, here in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, Paul is warning young Pastor Timothy, right, there at Ephesus, uh, about the apostasy that, that he was already going to encounter, really already encountering in his ministry in the first century, warning him to, to stand guard against that and, and to be a pastor that would teach and do the things that a pastor needed to do to protect his church uh, from apostasy, from being affected by doctrinal error. What happens when you're um, infected with someone else's uh, virus. I guess we have a convenient example, right? Uh, if someone has the coronavirus uh, for real, right, and they get too close to you, what might happen to you? What might happen to you? What might happen? You might get infected too, right? If someone has uh, bad doctrine uh, and you get too close to it and you listen to it and you take it in and you don't compare it to scripture, you just kind of meditate on that and, and don't allow, allow the word of God to uh, help you to discern truth from error. You get affected by, by that error. You get affected by it. And so, boy, in a world like this one that is so filled with error, we need to stand guard. We need to stand guard against being uh, affected, infected, affected by error, uh, lest we not fall into the same apostasy that we see all around us. What is apostasy? What does the word mean? Do you know what it means? If someone is called an apostate, what does that mean? Uh, it's one who literally has fallen away, right? One who has departed uh, from something or fallen away from something. In Bible context, we would say uh, one who has departed from or fallen away from true doctrine. 
Uh, it implies that they had it, or at least it was available to them, but that they chose to uh, fall away or depart from the truth. Church, aren't you glad this morning that we have the truth? Boy, I mean, just stop and think about it for a sec. Aren't you glad that we have the truth? Aren't you glad, Brother Art, that we're not on an island somewhere or some tribe that's still unreached with the gospel? Could you imagine? Uh, there's places in the world that are still unreached with the gospel, right? You know that. Uh, we need missionaries. We need people who are willing to go and, uh, and reach those still, even in 2020, unreached people groups. Uh, you know very well there's many people groups, uh, language families in, throughout the world that still don't have a word in their own language. We need people who will work on translations and, uh, you know, make good translations like our King James Bible. Amen. Uh, there's, there's a lot of corrupted scripture out there in, in the world today. By the way, I read this week, you may have seen this, Bearing Precious Seed. Uh, I think it's 46 years or 47 years they've been... Uh, ministering now in this uh, scripture printing ministry, they've just printed their 200 millionth scripture portion. Isn't that good? 200 million. Of course, uh, we've had just a small part in assembling some of that uh, scripture here in our church. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, you have your Bible this morning. I want to read through the passage this morning. Would you stand? Uh, can I ask you to stand, if you're able to, if you're able to stand together this morning. Let's read through 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. Here's Paul's warning to Timothy about apostasy and apostates together with his way to avoid, to avoid apostasy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, uh, Paul writes under inspiration, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with or as a hot iron. Not a good thing. Forbidding to marry, here's some examples of the doctrinal error, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it, is, uh, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Here's Paul's answer to Timothy for the apostasy that was uh, even in the first century. He says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, not the doctrine of devils, but good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. He says in verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, old wives' tales, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Paul continues to Timothy in verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, all acceptance. Verse 10, for therefore we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the who, church? The living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe, amen. These things command and teach. Paul continues writing under inspiration. He says, let no man despise thy youth. I take this to, back to Bible college on Tuesday. But be thou an example of or to the believers in word, in conviction, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Uh, how long? Till I come. <laughs> uh, Paul writes, till I come, give attendance. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself, how? Holy to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, the doctrine, Continue in them, 
for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This morning a warning about apostates and apostasy and the way to avoid falling into that error. Is this important? It is important, especially today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this chapter, this passage. It is certainly it was important for uh, Timothy uh, there in the first century in the church at Ephesus. And most certainly it remains critically important for us, uh, for this church, for Long Hill Baptist Church uh, in 2020. Lord, we know this is important. Help us to uh, receive your words and to take up the warning uh, together with the way of escape, uh, the way of escaping the, the, the danger of apostasy. Lord, I love you. I pray that you will help me this morning. Help me to be guided by thy spirit. I pray there'd be a power uh, in the preaching that would be from you this morning and that each one would receive uh, and apply exactly as you desire today. Father, help us now. Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated, please. Uh, we recognize this morning there's all kinds of flavor of apostasy uh, all around us. We've got the Mormons uh, with a false Christ and the Jehovah's Witnesses with a false Christ. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, you know what? Their error is harder to see, but I promise you it's there. If you get deep enough in their gospel, uh, I conclude it's a false gospel, and so I warn you about that. You've got uh, the Unification Church, whatever they're calling themselves today, and you have to be careful because they call themselves different things in different places, it would seem. You've got Scientology, you've got Christian Science, the, which calls itself the Church of Christ, comma, scientist. So much error all around us. And, and, and you know, different flavors, uh, even, even in churches that sometimes you would look at and say, boy, that's a good church. You hear a weak gospel preached sometimes, don't you? Does that concern you at all, church? It concerns me. Uh, I know that anyone that would repent and place their faith in Christ can be saved. But, boy, you got to have that. you you got to have that. Uh, I read a warning this week about uh, taking care not to just teach people to ask Jesus into their hearts. Years ago, I would just do that. Just ask Jesus into your heart. Well, you know, that might be enough if people understood, uh, if, if you help them to understand that they're sinners and that there's a consequence, and, and the only way of escaping the consequence is repentance toward God and faith in Christ, and that if you would do that, if you would repent and place your faith in Christ, uh, there's grace, right? There's grace uh, that is saving grace. You've got to make sure that if you invite someone to just ask Jesus into their heart, that, that you include all of that in the presentation uh, in the message. And I don't mean that to offend anyone. I've used that language uh, too, uh, too carelessly myself for uh, all too long in the past, in the past. But uh, yeah, there's, there's churches that have a very weak gospel message. And uh, a weak gospel message results in people who think they're saved, but they're not saved. And so they don't have the spirit of God indwelling them, and they don't have uh, the spiritual discernment that the Holy Spirit would aid them in. And so they become, uh, they become susceptible to all the error that, that is uh, surrounding us. We're, we're kind of like an island of truth, amen? Uh, you feel that way sometimes? Uh, you're, you're, you've been, uh, <laughs> Paul is shipwrecked, shipwrecked on an island of truth and errors all around us. Hey, we're just passing through this world, right? Are you a pilgrim? Are you a pilgrim? A pilgrim is someone who's on their way home, right? On their way to that better place. Praise God. Uh, praise God for that. Well, here's the, here's the warning this morning. Let's come back here, and I, I want to cover a lot, so I need, I need to get focused, Brother Ray Metric. I need, I need to get focused. Just tap on the table or something if I sound unfocused. Uh, here's the warning. Go back to verse 1, please. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. These aren't Paul's words. These are the words that the Lord has given Paul through the inspiration process that was superintended by the Spirit of God. Uh, in the later times, some shall depart, uh, depart from what? The faith. When are the later times? Well, I know, and, and I think you know, all the way back in 1 John chapter 2, it's verse 18 specifically, uh, Paul wrote, little children, it is the last time. 
That's, that's what John wrote. I think I said Paul. John wrote that under inspiration of the Spirit of God all the way back in the first century. Uh, 1 John 2 and verse 18, little children, uh, that loving, compassionate language. He said, it is, uh, it is the last time. Uh, turn over to uh, 2 Timothy. You're in 1 Timothy. Just turn back a little bit to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, I don't believe at all that Paul is writing about some future time, and neither was John. Uh, here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy as one who is living in the latter times, the last days. We are, uh, this is from, you know, people debate exactly when does this start, but uh, certainly uh, we, we live on the side of the cross that would define the last days. It's not some future time. It is now. Uh, it is the last time, according to John. And then here in 2 Timothy 3, Paul, Paul describes the apostasy that would be characterized or the apostasy that would characterize the last days. He says, this know also that in the last days, the underlying word there is eschatos. It's the source of our word eschatology. He says, perilous times, dangerous times uh, shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, I think you're familiar with this passage, but hear it again and say, uh, does, does, do these words describe these days, today? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, but plenty of unnatural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, uh, incontinent means exactly what you think, uh, lacking self-control, but you know, not the way we use it today, lacking self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, prideful, right? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, Lord help us having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul writes, here's a command. What is it? Read it with me, please. The last four words of, uh, in verse 5, from such, turn away. We're, we're called to be a separate people, uh, not a people who mix ourselves into this sort of stew of apostasy and wickedness here, but, but people who, who are able to discern what is right from what is wrong and to separate ourselves from that a terrible brew or stew of wickedness uh, that we see here. Those words, those verses describe today, don't they? They describe today. Now listen, please look up here for, for a moment, then you can look somewhere else. <laughs> um, is it discouraging? When you look around the world, do you get discouraged? Do you find yourself getting discouraged? You, you could, right? Uh, you, 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 could, you could just focus on all the wickedness and the, and the terribleness around us and, and find yourself very discouraged. But I want to encourage you this morning, once again, don't. Don't. Look around and say, you know what? Uh, what I see out the window is proof that the word of God is true. God's words are true. Uh, what I see out the window, what I see in the world, sure enough, it's exactly what the Lord described to Paul and Paul gave to Timothy and the Lord has preserved uh, for us. It's exactly what the Lord described. And so we, we should not be surprised. Uh, be encouraged that God's words are true. Hey, also be encouraged that we don't have to fall into this stuff. Amen. Say amen. We, we don't have to fall into this stuff. Be, be encouraged. You know, if you look not out the window, but in, inward and into your church at brothers and sisters in Christ, I know we're not perfect. We're, we're being sanctified. It's, it's a process. Brother Rich, remember I was saved in a moment, but sanctification is a process, right? Uh, we're not perfect, but boy, neither is our church characterized by, by this stuff, right? Hopefully no one will look at our church and describe it this way. No, people look at our church and describe it as a church that came about face and, and, and changed up its philosophy and changed some things and, and got back on track. Are we perfect, church? No, we're not. No, we're not. We, we have a ways to go, uh, but, but neither are we this. 
And that's because we have the Spirit of God, right? Who, when you start down the trail toward, uh, you know, that you see here, the Holy Spirit steps in and convicts and convicts and prompts and prods and convicts. And uh, you, you repent of, of the sin and, and you say, Lord, help me to put that off and to put on truth and obedience in its place. And, and you're growing uh, more in holiness and uh, out of this stuff that characterizes the world. So don't be discouraged be encouraged and be thankful, amen? Be thankful that the word of God is true and that your life is not uh, one that would be described this way, uh, thanks to the cross and to the spirit of God who indwells us and, 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 and is sanctifying us because of Christ uh, and the cross. Uh, so we see here, these are the spirit's words. Uh, this is a warning that was for Timothy's day and for today, uh, he's warning that some shall depart. Uh, that word depart there, it's the same word that, that yields us. The underlying word is the same word that yields our English word apostasy. Uh, this is a warning that uh, today, these, in these last days, yes, some uh, will depart. Why? Why? Why do people who have the truth depart from it. Does it make any sense at all to have the truth and depart from it, church? Does it? Do you have the truth? You have the true gospel. You have the, the true way of sanctification. You, you have all the true doctrine that, that we can distill out of our wonderfully accurate, preserved Bible that we have, our, our King James Bible. Would it make any sense to depart from the... No, it makes no sense at all. Just kind of put pack that thought into your mind. If I'm ever tempted to depart from this uh, truth... Uh, remember, it doesn't make any sense at all. The whole book of Hebrews, which I'm, I'm teaching at the college this semester, uh, is really about that, right? It was, it was encouragement to the, the Jews that had come to Christ, or at least thought they had, some of them, uh, against uh, departing from the truth and fleeing back into what, what sometimes might have felt like the safe harbor of the Judaism from which they came out of. And the whole point of the, of the book of Hebrews is, no, keep hold of the truth of the new covenant. Don't depart. Don't give in to the pressure uh, to depart, to uh, become an apostate from the truth. The, there's all kinds of encouragement and pressure to depart from truth. Uh, let me ask that as a question. Is there any kind of uh, pressure uh, on us today to depart from the truth? Do you ever feel pressured? Do you think there's pressure from the world to depart from the truth? There's all kinds of pressure, right? Uh, all kinds of pressure. Uh, the, what, what is a biblical marriage? Uh, what's the right Bible to use? What's, the, what's godly? Well, there's so many things, so much pressure to depart from the truth. We're not going to, Amen. Uh, and if you do, I'm coming after you. Amen? Somebody say amen. <laughs> so if, if the sheep stray, the pastor has to come in with the hook, right? Right? You have to come. I, should I get a hook? Brother uh, Steve, could you make me a shepherd's hook? If you see the pastor showing up at your door with a shepherd's hook, that might be a warning, right? <laughs> uh, I'll ask Brother Garcia. <laughs> Uh, Lord, help us. Lord, Lord, help us. So why? Why is it that some are departing from the truth? Why is that? Well, Paul says here to Timothy that their uh, second part of verse 1, I know we're still in verse 1, uh, give, they, they, these are those who have been giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing has the idea of deceiving. Uh, these spirits, obviously, they're not the, the elect angels. These are the fallen angels, the demons, right? Uh, part of their, uh, their ministry, if you want to call it that, is to seduce, uh, to draw away from the truth, to seduce you, to make, so, to make a, a falling away or a drawing away look very attractive uh, and desirable. Listen, if we took up the world's definition of marriage today, all the pressure would be off, right? We'd be welcomed and probably more people would come. We could put the rainbow flag outside and uh, probably more people would flee in, but, but we're not going to do that because it's not the truth, right? But there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure. Uh, these who are being drawn away from the truth are described here as 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of what? What does it say? Devils, demons, uh, demons. They have an agenda which includes trying to draw us away from truth into error. They are seducing or deceiving spirits. They have their own doctrine, the doctrine of devils, which is false doctrine. And you, know, you look around the world today, you look at the cults today, uh, that is the doctrine of devils that people have been seduced into uh, by demons, by, by the fallen angels. Um, did the found, Zachary, did the founder of Islam claim that he was approached by angels? He, he, who was the founder of Islam? Muhammad. He claimed that angels came to him, right, and, and gave him scripture. Do we have any other cults where the founder of the cult uh, claimed that angels came and gave him uh, scripture? Rich? Mormonism, right? Joseph Smith there at Hill Cumorah in upstate New York. And I've said this before, I'll say again here in this passage, uh, no doubt angels came. I don't doubt that for a second, but they were fallen angels who seduced those men into the doctrines of devils. So this is real. I mean, it's, it's that real. Uh, the, the Hill Cumorah thing was, you know, not a thousand years ago. It was a couple hundred years ago. Uh, uh, the devil has not gone anywhere. He's not locked away yet. Uh, he's still, he and his demons are still very much in the business of seducing people away from truth uh, and into their own false doctrine. Hey, we can discern what is truth from error by the word of God. Amen. Uh, if, you, if you hear some doctrine that doesn't sound quite right, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, get into the word of God and, and compare what you're hearing uh, to what the word of God says. And you'll know, you'll know, you'll, you'll be able to discern. Do you remember um, the parable of the sower? I ask you, but of course you do back in, in Luke 5. Let me just read a portion, please. Uh, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trotted down. The fowls of the air devoured it. Down in verse 11, it says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. We understand that. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, hear the truth. Then cometh the devil and take away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Uh, <laughs> this is the business the devil's in. To try to, to try to take away, to distract us from uh, the truth, to seduce us away from the truth, and then to replace it with the doctrine of devils. Lord, help us to know your words, your truth, please. So uh, they're deceived. We see that. Uh, we see that they have a corrupted character. They have a corrupted character. Look at verse 2. Uh, they, they, they speak lies. In hypocrisy, uh, having their conscience seared with or as with a hot iron. So uh, those that depart from, by the way, does the Bible teach us to be truthful? Church, church, is it a sin to lie? Is it a sin to tell a little white lie? Why are they white, by the way? <laughs> is, it, is it a sin to tell a little lie? Is a little bit of sin still sin? Say it again. A, yes, a little bit of sin is a sin, right? A lie is a lie is a lie. Uh, apostasy is characterized by speaking lies uh, in hypocrisy. Uh, one who's a hypocrite is, is literally a pretender. That's what the word means, uh, a pretender. This could be someone who's not truly saved or, or someone who is a, sort of an insincere uh, believer, probably, probably someone who's not truly saved. Uh, they have a corrupted character because they've been seduced into false doctrine and they're walking in that. Their character has been corrupted uh, by false doctrine. Uh, the next part of verse 2, it, it, it's just, it's scary, right? Having their conscience seared uh, with a hot iron. Uh, that doesn't sound good, amen? Having, anybody want anything seared with a hot iron? Uh, a stake, maybe, but that's it, right? Not, not my conscience. Not my conscience. Do you know the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Uh, do you know? Do you know when you're doing wrong or about to do wrong or thinking wrong? Do you know what it feels like to have the Holy Spirit convict you of that, church? 
Do you know that? Praise God, that's evidence of salvation, right? You have the Holy Spirit uh, who's, who's convicting you uh, a wrong sinful thought, sinful attitude, sinful heart, sinful action, whatever it is. That's the Spirit of God. Praise God for that working in our conscience. Uh, what happens if you, if you ignore that conviction and you ignore that conviction and you ignore that conviction? You become less sensitive to the conviction uh, of the Spirit of God. Is that because the, Spirit of, the power of the Spirit of God wears down over time? Somebody say no. No, but you choose to be less sensitive to it over time, right? You, you fight it off. You, you, you fight it off. You become less sensitive to it over uh, a period of time. What, I, can, I don't have time to go into this today, but just see if this sounds right to you. One man, he observes a series of stages which leads to a, a seared conscience. Maybe just write these down real fast. We don't have time to go into them today, but he says there's a dull conscience, uh, someone who is spiritually slothful, you know, just not taking care uh, to know what the Bible teaches and to seek God's grace to live according to his words. They're, they're lazy. They're spiritually uh, lazy. They have a dull conscience. Then there's an uneasy conscience. Uh, you can progress to an uneasy conscience. The result of, you know, just a lot of sin in your life. Your conscience is uneasy. Then there's a guilty conscience, right? If, if you don't if you don't agree with the Spirit of God and uh, repent of the sin and confess it and forsake it and, and, and move in a different direction, uh, there's, there's guilt, right? There's, the, there's a growing uh, burden. Uh, that's the fourth thing. Uh, a heart, no, the fourth thing is not burden, but a hardened conscience. Uh, this man writes, the hardened uh, need not be invulnerable. There may be a joint somewhere where the arrow of conviction may still enter, but it's becoming hard. They're choosing not to respond to the conviction of the Spirit of God, and so their conscience is beginning to harden, and ultimately it's seared, it's cauterized. Uh, the person has just refused the conviction of the Spirit of God, their conscience becomes seared against that. That's not like a good place to be, church. Anybody, Marilyn, you want to sign up for that? I don't. Lord, give me a heart when there's conviction from the Spirit of God to respond quickly, right? Don't delay. Driving down the road, you get, you get convicted of the Spirit of God. Just confess, right? Just confess. Lord, I agree. I agree. Right here, driving down the road, I agree. I confess. Uh, help me, Lord. Help me to repent, to turn, to forsake, to put on, uh, to put on truth uh, in place of error. Uh, letter C, uh, under number one here, they have, a they have faulty teaching. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong teaching, which leads to wrong action. I think there's just examples here in verse three. Uh, there's examples here that look pretty familiar to us living today. Verse three are examples of faulty doctrine that they will take up. Uh, forbidding to marry, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats. Uh, these are teachings of the Roman Catholic Church even now, right? Even now, uh, some are forbidden to marry, and uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a command to abstain from meats on certain days. Uh, these, are, these are false, unbiblical teachings that come from taking up false doctrines. Uh, the answer is invert the answer to that is verse four and five. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Uh, say grace, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Say grace and then eat. Amen. Thank the Lord for the food and ask him to sanctify it, to bless it to your body. Do you say grace no matter what? Do you do that? Do that. <laughs> do that. Thank, take a moment. Thank the Lord. Ask him to bless the food uh, to your body. So listen, we see the error here. We see a few uh, descriptions and some consequences, specific doctrinal errors that we see uh, even today, persisting from the first century all the way until uh, today. We see that here in verses 3, 4, and 5. Okay, that's the problem. That's the warning. Uh, we need to see the way to avoid this. We need to see the way to avoid falling into this apostasy, this falling away. I have the truth. We've agreed that as a church, it wouldn't make any sense to turn from the truth. Uh, you've packed that away in your heart and your mind. It wouldn't make any sense at all uh, to turn from truth. 
Uh, so let's see here the Lord's prescription. He gives us a number of things here that will help us. Timothy teaches them to Paul. I should say the other way around. Paul teaches them to Timothy. Uh, Timothy, no doubt, is, is uh, in, intended to teach these things to the church, uh, as this pastor will do here this morning. I want to give these to you as a list of R's this morning. We'll give you a number of R's this morning, so R's. Let's uh, see the first thing here in verse 6. Uh, Timothy was to remind the church of truth. So your R there is, is to remind. We need to constantly be reminded of what is the truth. Uh, great to learn it, but sometimes we need to be reminded. And, you know, so much preaching is, is simply uh, reminding people what God has said. It's not that you've never heard it before or never understood it, but, but boy, we need to be reminded. And uh, there's a power in being reminded from the Bible and asking the Holy Spirit to step in and, and work afresh, anew in that. Uh, verse 6, uh, Paul writes, If thou put the brethren, what's the, in what, in what? Next word, remembrance. Remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister, servant of Jesus Christ, uh, nourished up in the words, all of the individual words of Scripture, not just the uh, broad stroke ideas, but the individual words of, of, of the faith and of good doctrine, the teachings that are distilled out of those words. Uh, of course, as opposed to the doctrine of devils, whereunto thou hast attained. Timothy was to remind the church of the truth. And, you know, we're in church this morning being reminded of truth. Hopefully you were watching Sunday school this morning. You were reminded of truth from 3 Timothy. If you'll come online tonight, you'll be reminded and encouraged of great truth from the Song of Solomon. Do all of those things. Uh, be here Wednesday night. We'll be uh, Lord willing, completing the book of Judges this Wednesday night, you'll be reminded of some great and important truths from that book, and then uh, we'll be ready for the book of Ruth. So uh, a week from Wednesday, a week from Wednesday, we'll, we'll start into the book of Ruth. Um, Lord, give us a heart to know and to be reminded of truth. See the second thing here, uh, Timothy is to refuse, there's your R, uh, are, I sound like a pirate, Brother Richard. Timothy is to refuse to walk in error, just to adamantly refuse. He says in verse 7, Paul writes, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. The word there, profane, has the idea literally of ungodly. Uh, refuse these things. And, you know, this, this may allude back to some of the Jewish traditions or folklores. Uh, but it, it could probably refer to any number of things, uh, things that, you know, get passed down from generation to generation uh, that just aren't biblical. Refuse those things. Refuse uh, anything that is profane and ungodly and, and traditions and things that are handed down that just don't align with Scripture. What's the best thing to do with the tradition that doesn't align with Scripture? Church, I'll give you an R word. What's the R word? Refuse it. Refuse it. I mean, I'm not saying that you know, the, a tradition might have some value. Uh, we have a tradition of celebrating Christmas. Are we taught in the Bible to do that? Not necessarily, but uh, it seems like a, a tradition that, that works okay. It's okay, amen. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of unbiblical stuff that uh, creeps into churches and into our homes, and we do well to just refuse it. When you get convicted about something, cut it off, take it out, refuse it. Uh, refuse it. Don't, don't entertain it to some little extent if it seems bad. No, refuse it completely. Number three, number three, Timothy's to resort uh, instead to exercising or walking in or practicing godliness. Rather than uh, walking in error, he's to resort himself instead to exercising or practicing walking in godliness. Now, you saw the, the, the passage here beginning in uh, midway through verse 7, this allusion to kind of a, a workout routine, right? He's using the illustration of physical exercise here. He says in the beginning of middle of verse 7, and exercise, uh, the word, underlying word is the word that gives us gymnastics and gymnasium. Uh, it has the idea of practicing or training, right? And exercise, practice or train thyself unto what? What's the G word? 
godliness, right? Refuse that, that stuff, what, the ungodly stuff, the profane stuff, the old wives' fables. Refuse that. Don't entertain it at all because you're going to get caught up in it. You're going to be walking in, practicing, exercising that. Don't do that. That's a distraction. That'll distract you from the truth. Cut it off. Get it out. Put it away. Resort instead to exercising, walking in godliness. How am I going to know what that is? What's what you find in the word of God? Not, not listening to the old wives' tales, but looking and, and getting into the word of God. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He goes on and he uh, continues kind of the illustration here. Bodily exercise profiteth little. It would profit me some, but not as much as spiritual exercise. Amen. Uh, he says in, in uh, verse 8, but uh, godliness is profitable unto all things. Middle of verse 8. Godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Amen. Do you understand that? Um, there's promises that are associated with godliness that for this life, this side of heaven. Amen. And there's promises that are associated with godliness that are um, eternal, eternal. So if, if I walk according to godliness today, uh, might God bless me today? Might he? Amen. He might. Uh, yeah. We don't preach a health and a wealth gospel, but uh, we understand that the Lord will bless the believer often in, in the face of or in response to our choice to seek his grace, to walk according to his word, to walk in, to exercise godliness. That's a biblical principle, and we're very thankful for that. God will often bless our godliness. Are there eternal rewards for choosing to exercise godliness this side of heaven. And, and those are going to be even better, right? Whatever reward, whatever blessing there is in this side of heaven for obedience, for walking according to godliness, it's temporarily, it's, it's, it's going to stop when we get to heaven. But there are eternal rewards in heaven, right? Where moth and rust doth not corrupt and uh, the crowns, I'll say again this morning, I hope we're going to cast them back to the Lord, and that'll be part of our worship. And if so, Brother Steve, I want some crowns to cast back as part of my worship. I want to be the guy that doesn't have any crowns to cast back to my Lord as part of my worship in his very physical presence. What, a, what an amazing privilege that will be. Uh, I hope we'll do that. We'll, we'll know for sure. We'll know for sure later on. Uh, practicing godliness has present benefits, uh, blessings, but more importantly, eternal benefits, blessings, rewards that will bring honor and glory to our Savior this side of heaven, uh, but perhaps even more importantly, throughout eternity. What a joy, uh, what a privilege. In verse 9, Paul writes this, he says, this is a faithful saying, it's true saying. <laughs> uh, that's what he means. It's, this is a true saying. What he's writing is true. Uh, he's being faithful to what the Holy Spirit has given him. He's writing the truth. This is a faithful saying and worthy or deserving of all acceptation, of all acceptance. Uh, he wants to reiterate that what he's writing here is true, and it deserves to be received and accepted uh, and taken up and, and walked in. Why do you suppose the Holy Spirit might put a verse like that in Scripture uh, from time to time? Do you, ever, do you ever stop and, I don't know, you're probably not going to raise your hand and say, yeah, yeah, but do you ever stop and think, boy, that's, that's hard to accept as truth. Uh, you, ever, you ever been there? You're reading along and you say, that's just hard to accept uh, that that's truth. Well, it is true. If it's the Bible, uh, it's uh, the word of God is, is true, and it's worthy of all acceptation. It deserves to be accepted by whom, by the way? By, by whom? By all of us, right? Yeah, all of us. Don't forget that. Every word of the Bible is worthy of our acceptance. And boy, the implication is we do well to 
take it up, even if it's hard to believe, even if it's hard to accept. And you can be honest with the Lord. I know I've said this many times. You get to a place in, in Scripture where you're having a hard time accepting that. <laughs> you can just go to the Lord and be honest. Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. That's hard to accept, whatever it is. I know it's your word. I know it's true, but it's going to be hard for me to accept it. Uh, Lord, would you help me? You ever pray that? Church, you ever pray that? Boy, do it. Do it. And, and then allow God to help you accept it and to take it up and exercise it, to practice it, uh, to walk in it. Uh, look, look here in verse 10. Here's, um, here's Paul's response to all of this that he teaches Timothy. Uh, basically, he's saying here that because this is all true, uh, he's willing to serve the Lord even if it means suffering. Uh, see verse 10, he says, For therefore we both labor, serve, uh, the, the word there, labor, has the idea of, of not joking around, I mean really putting yourself into it. Is, is service labor? Does it involve hard work sometimes? It's a joy, but it, it can be hard. And certainly for Paul it was, and Timothy as well. Uh, for therefore, because of this truth and the worthiness of this truth to be accepted, you know what? We're willing to labor, to serve, uh, and to suffer reproach. Uh, it has the idea of to be defamed, uh, to be picked on and put down, to be persecuted. We're willing uh, both to serve and to suffer because we know that we're serving the one true God who's given us his truth that we can know how to be saved and, and how to live and uh, all of the hope, the certainty of the hope that we have. Uh, he says, because we trust in the living God, the living God, who is the savior of all men, um, especially of those that believe. Uh, that last part there is a little bit hard, isn't it? Uh, is he your savior? Church, you saved? Amen. Aren't you glad? Don't forget how wonderful that is, please. <laughs> please don't forget how wonderful that is. Uh, we trust in the living God. He's truthful, therefore we can trust in him. He's trustworthy. Do you trust him? Are you learning to trust him more and more? Yeah, we're still learning, right? <laughs> Lord, help us to learn to trust you more and more. Do you still find yourself worrying sometimes? Okay, so we're still, we still need to learn, right? We still, if, if we ever find ourselves worrying, we still have some room for growth. That's okay. Keep growing. Lord, keep growing me. Uh, you know, help me to be in church and in your word and in prayer and learning and growing. And uh, Lord, grow my faith and grow my trust in you through those trials that you uh, allow in our lives to grow us spiritually. Um, we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Did Jesus go to the cross and die for all the sins of all people of all time? I believe he did. I think the Bible teaches that very plainly. I am not a Calvinist. Somebody say amen. I'm not. I'm not a Calvinist. Uh, Calvin taught that the Lord limited atonement, right? He, he went to the cross only for those uh, who would be saved eventually down the road in time. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I believe Jesus went to the cross and, and paid the penalty due for all sins committed by all people throughout all of time. You think that was a heavy weight? Do you think that was a heavy weight? Do you remember the weight of your own sin, just your own sin up to the point that you were saved? Jesus took upon all sin of all men uh, of all time. That's biblical. We can't look at all the verses today, but uh, we are not Calvinism. Calvinists. We, do not, uh, we, we will not preach hyper-Calvinism in our church. It's, I do not believe that is biblical at all. Uh, but then he says this, though, and Calvinists might jump in here and say, well, I don't know, uh, specially, uh, especially, or chiefly uh, of those that believe. Uh, in what sense is God the Savior of all men? Jesus did go to the cross to pay the price for all sins of all people of all time. In what sense is he specially or especially or chiefly the Savior of those that believe? Well, in the sense that those who actually repent and come to him for salvation, 
placing their faith in him, we're the ones where the, the price that he paid gets paid onto our account due with the Father now, right? Uh, he paid the price for everyone, but it's not paid onto your personal account that is due uh, with God the Father because of your sin until you repent and place your faith in him. And at that point, the penalty is paid onto your account. And God the Father is perfectly satisfied. Your, your account is stamped paid in full. Amen? In that sense, he's the savior of everyone. Salvation is available to everyone but no one is saved just because of the cross until they repent and place their faith in Christ and the payment is made onto your account. Aren't you glad your account's paid in full? What if I keep sinning? Are you, can you lose your salvation? I don't believe scripture allows for that. I don't. We've looked at the verses. I just don't. I don't. Should we keep sinning? No. <laughs> no. Uh, do we have to? No, we don't. Uh, we do not. Let me give you number four quickly. Timothy's to rear up, to rear up or teach uh, others the same. He's to be in the business of teaching these things. He's got to know these things. He's got to receive these words from Paul, who's received them from the Lord. He's got to know them and he's got to teach them. It's verse eleven. Uh, here's the command: These things command uh, and teach and, and teach. This is a command given by the Lord to. Uh, Pastor Timothy and to pastors today, but I see no issue whatsoever with applying it, with applying this more broadly uh, and saying, listen, church members, we have a duty and obligation to teach these things to each other, to encourage, to exhort, to remind uh, each other. You see a brother or sister uh, sort of toying with some kind of cult or some occult teaching, uh, you got to lovingly step in, lovingly but firmly, and step in uh, and teach the truth uh, in a way that's easy to be entreated with godly wisdom, but you got to step in uh, with the truth. You call on the pastor to do that, but you, 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 know, you, you pray and, and, and do that yourself as well. Number five, Timothy's to be a, a, a representative or, or a good example uh, or a pattern for others. He's to be a representation of the truth. He's to be a good example or a pattern for others. Verse 12 says this, let no man despise thy youth. He was young. He was a young pastor. I'm not a young pastor anymore, am I, Rich? He's got the mask on, so I can't see what he was mouthing to me. It's probably a good thing, Brother Garcia. <laughs> let no man despise thy youth. By the way, a young man can be a pastor if he's spiritually mature. You know, if he's got some experience and he's spiritually mature, Timothy appears to be quite young. Um, he can be younger. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. There it is, an example, a good example, a representation of truth, a pattern of the believers or to others. Uh, how? How? In word. Um, I think here the idea, well, see the next part, in word and in conversation. What he says and what he does should be a good example. Whatever he says, whatever he does, it should be godly. It should be biblical. It should be informed by the word of God and, and should be obedient as he's yielded to the Lord. What he says and what he does should be biblical. He's to be a good example in both his speech and his actions. These other th things, <laughs> these other words should characterize uh, his speech and his behavior. Uh, see the last part of verse 12. There should be charity. There should be a loving heart, a loving attitude, loving speech and loving actions. Uh, his spirit, he should have a godly attitude toward others. By the way, is that easy? <laughs> church, is it easy to have a good godly loving attitude toward everybody in the church all the time? Uh, Lord, pray, Lord, give me a love and a godly attitude toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, remember my encouragement to try to view people as, as we will be in heaven. Amen? Lord, help, give me eyes to see each other as we will be in heaven. Keep that in mind. Uh, in faith, he should take care to live by faith rather than by fear. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to bring our fears to you with thanksgiving. Uh, in purity, his life should be characterized by holiness. His speech and his actions should be characterized by these things. 
Um, this will, is part of the Lord's prescription for warding off, warding off error. If he's a living example of truth before his church, that's going to be part of God's prescription for warding off error. People are not going to flee away from him into some cult if he's being good and godly toward them. I'm not saying that can't ever happen. It can, but this is part of God's prescription. Number six, we're almost done. Timothy is to always be reading. Reading is your R, God's words. Paul says uh, he's always to be reading God's words. Paul says in verse 13, till I come, give attendance to. Give attendance to what? To reading. Reading what? God's words. To exhortation. To encouraging others to live according to God's words to doctrine, to doctrine, to the teaching of God's words. Uh, I'm encouraging my college students in my Hebrews class to be reading the book of Hebrews all the way through the semester. Uh, they're required, Brother Steve, to read it three times. That's not too harsh, is it? Before the end of the semester. They have 15 weeks to read it three times. They're thinking, we have other classes, you know, Pastor Hammond. Someone said, my class is hard. Can you believe that? I asked the class. I said, they said, oh, no, 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 Pastor Hammond, we're good, we're good. Okay. I don't know how it could be hard yet. We've only had two classes. <laughs> um, I've encouraged them to be reading throughout the semester. Don't wait and do your reading at the end of the semester. Why? Because if they do, if they wait, they will not be benefiting from the power of God's words in their life throughout the semester. Um, you know, what are we waiting for? You know, probably numbers of us have said, I, I had a goal to read the Bible this year or to read it in a couple of years or whatever it was. Are you doing it or are you waiting for something? It doesn't make sense to wait. We, we are deprived from the power of God's words in our life until we get ourselves into God's words, right? You, um, if you get sick, you don't get well until you take the medicine, right? If you get an infection, the infection will probably continue on. It'll linger until you take the antibiotic. If you're spiritually suffering, you probably continue until you get into God's words and, and benefit spiritually uh, from God's words. Um, aren't they quick and powerful? Are they? What does quick mean? Does it mean fast? What does it mean? It means they're alive. How is that? I don't know. <laughs> they have a spiritual life to them. I'm just going to trip over my mat here. That, that won't be good. We'll have to edit that out. They have a spiritual life and a power to them that is supernatural. It's supernatural. It's not like you read a commentary and, yeah, you can develop an understanding based on what someone said or what someone thinks. But when you actually get into the Bible, there's a spiritual life and power there that is absolutely supernatural. There's no other explanation. None needed. It's the word of God accurately translated in English in our King James Bible. You have the living word of God in front of you this morning. By the way, what a privilege, what a joy. Would it make any sense to not take the spiritual medicine that we need every day? Would it make, by the way, did you, yesterday, did you eat? You may have been fasting, but uh, most days, do you eat? Do you eat? Marilyn says, yeah, Pastor. <laughs> Because we like to eat, right? <laughs> um, what happens if you don't eat? What happens if you don't eat? I know you're thinking, Pastor, you'd lose weight. I understand. But what happens if you didn't eat for a long time? What would happen? You'd starve to death, right? You'd get sickly and weak, and then you, you might die uh, from malnourishment. You, you can't be spiritually healthy if you're not feeding upon God's words, his living, powerful words. You just can't be. There's no way you can be spiritually healthy unless you're taking in the word of God, feeding upon it. You just can't be. You can't be. Don't fool yourself. Say, oh, I can be. You know, I go to church. I hear a little bit of scripture at church. I'll be fine. No, you won't be. You will not be. You need to eat every day, unless you're fasting. And do fast. Practice the fasting. Um, 
Neglect not the gift that is in thee, number seven, and we're done. Timothy is to be faithful to regard his spiritual gift. He's to practice his spiritual gift. When you were saved, I believe you received one spiritual gift. Others believe you may have received more than one, but I think it's one, or at least one primary spiritual gift. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Regard it. Employ it. You understand you received a spiritual gift, one of several. The moment you were saved is to be practiced in a ministry in your church, being led of the Spirit of God. There's real power in that. Save baptized church member practicing their spiritual gift in the ministries of the church in which God placed them. There's real power there. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. He goes on here, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. That word presbytery is elsewhere translated elders. And so there may be a reference here to the ministry in which he's to exercise the spiritual gift. Uh, He was ordained a pastor, elder in that church and given a place to exercise his spiritual gift. Uh, Let's quickly see verses 15 and 16 and we're done. Paul says, I don't have R's for these. Paul gives the Lord's command, meditate upon these things. Don't just hear them and then let them go. Chew on them. Give thyself wholly to them. Don't just say, okay, I get it, I'll try. No, you meditate on these things. You chew them up and you get it down in there. And you give yourself wholly, completely to these things. If you want to avoid apostasy, you want to be able to stand guard for real against all this apostasy that's swirling around us and uh, surrounding us, coming for us. Are we in a spiritual battle? Is the enemy coming for you for real, church? For real, right? Not just pretend, not just things we say in church. No, for real. We're in a spiritual battle. The enemy really is coming for us. We need to be serious about these things. Meditate upon them. Don't just hear them and let them go. You made your notes. You review your notes. You get back in, review the passage. Lord, help me to give myself wholly to these things, to invest myself in taking up your prescription against apostasy, that thy profiting may appear to all. There will be a benefit. There will be a spiritual benefit and a practical benefit that falls out of that. Take heed unto thyself. You know, be serious about this. And unto the doctrine, continue in them. Continue in them. One of the best ways to crowd out the doctrine of devils is to continue in the true doctrine, Bible doctrine. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Be serious about these things. Better stop there. Let's um, bow our heads, please, and pray. Father, thank you this morning for your truth. Lord, you've anticipated every difficulty, every problem that we face, and you've addressed it in your word. Your word is sufficient. It's more than enough. I thank you that your grace is also. Lord, we understand this morning that we are surrounded by an enemy and an enemy that has brought many over to his side. Many have departed from the truth. Lord, we'll not be frustrated or discouraged or afraid. We know that we are on the winning side. We know that ultimately the power of Satan and his demons is broken at the cross and that their days are truly numbered. Father, help us this morning to be very serious about the warning that you've given to stand guard against the error that is around us and to avail ourselves the way of escaping these seven R's. Lord, to be very serious about these things. Lord, it's a serious warning. I pray, Father, I pray this morning that you've convicted us in one or two of those areas or or more, perhaps, the answer, the way of escaping. Maybe you've burdened specific individuals to be especially careful to take up uh, portions of the solution. Of course, we, we need them all. But Lord, maybe there's someone who 
Maybe there's someone, Father, who needs to be a better example. Lord, maybe there's someone who needs to be more faithful to be reading your words. Maybe there's someone who needs to be more faithful to finding a way to exercise their spiritual gift in a church ministry. Lord, whatever it is, I pray this morning that you would burden us to do just that, to confess the failure in that area and to ask your grace to take these things up as you desire. I'll give you a moment to pray and we'll close. Lord, we are grateful this morning for your words, grateful for our salvation. Thank you for your answers to the spiritual dangers that we face. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your announcement sheet, please, uh, in your bulletin? I want to just quickly point out, I'll be very quick. I realize we're a little bit over time this morning. Marilyn, you told me not to apologize for preaching long, so I won't do that. I think you did, at least. I want to remind you here on page three to be praying for our fall revival meeting with Dr. Gary Gilmore. You know him. He's our friend, longtime friend. Uh, that'll be November 8th through Wednesday. He'll be preaching that Sunday morning, um, and then uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. I want to ask you, please, to put each of those services on your calendar and to plan to be here. Say, Lord, I'll be there unless something prevents me. I want to ask you, please, to be here for each of those services, if you possibly can. Um, we're working on bringing back another service here and still praying about that, but uh, for the time being, we'll, um, you know, we'll still be live Sunday at 11, Wednesday at 7. Please try to be here Wednesday nights, if you possibly can, as well. But the Sunday school, Sunday night, and all the services will remain online as well. I need to draw your attention to the giving report. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, our giving for the quarter has fallen behind. And I look at it and I say, well, it's kind of like one week's giving. And I look at that and I said, well, okay, just a reminder. If you neglected to turn in your tithe that Sunday morning that we were closed recently, may I simply encourage you to do that? I think, I think because we're not normally behind like this, um, so just if you neglected to turn in your tithe because we were closed that one recent Sunday morning, I would just uh, encourage you to do that. You can do that today, you can do it next week, you can mail it, whatever's, whatever's good for you, okay? Uh, one more thing, just a little bit of housekeeping, and everybody look up here, please. I want to just ask you again, try to be on time for our services, okay? Um, it is a, it's a distraction when folks come in late. I want you to come in late, you know, if, if you got to be here by quarter after, you know that. But, um, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to be five or ten minutes late, come anyway, um, but it's much better to be five or 10 or 15 minutes early. It is a distraction when folks come in late, and, and it's just unkind. Um, also, if you'll come in five or 10 or 15 minutes early, there's time for a little bit of fellowship, right? And I realize we're being careful and trying to avoid too much time together and proximity and all that, but um, come early and fellowship just a little bit, and uh, then you'll be here on time also. Can we do that? Yes, Pastor. Okay, thank you. Zach, you come and lead us in our closing song, please. And uh, you close us in prayer. Thank you.